from the 15th floor of the Energy Building, this is GNR Airtime, the podcast that explores the current trends from emerging and well-established industries hosted by the lawyers of GNR. This podcast is for general guidance only and does not constitute definitive advice. Hi, welcome to GNR Airtime. I'm your host, Thomas Kierno, and we have here with us Enuju Carter partner, Harun Rixdiputro. Hi, Pa. Hi, Tama. Hello, everyone. We're also happy to welcome Paul Hemming, uh, who is the partner of Wellington Capital Advisory, an independent capital advisory firm here in Indonesia. Hi, Paul. Hi, Tama, and hi, everyone. Thank you all for uh, making time. Um, we hope this will be an interesting joint podcast between ANO Jakarta and WCA, uh, where we hope you can give sort of a holistic view to our listeners of uh, what is going on in Indonesia and around the world. Uh, in particular, the theme of today's episode is Indonesia is about to become a significant global player. Uh, is your company ready? We'll touch on a wide range of topics, um, including Indonesia's economy, the impact on COVID-19 on Indonesia's economy overall, as well as on M&A and investment into Indonesia. We'll also discuss other topics such as geopolitical changes in the relationship between the US and China. More importantly, talk about how Indonesian companies should see and deal with what is going on with Indonesia and the rest of the world. I guess we'll start off with you, Paul. Give us sort of your macro level view of what is going on with Indonesia's economy and what do you see coming next? Okay. I read recently a very nice quote that sums up where we are. It said, there are decades when nothing happens and there are weeks and months when decades happen. And we're living, we're living in that state at the moment of high volatility, high uncertainty, and some profound and likely permanent changes happening in many aspects of our business and personal lives. Work patterns, travel, education, shopping, healthcare, banking, media consumption are all changing. And interestingly enough, about a year ago, in December of uh, last year, the Jakarta Post ran a headline saying, now or never, Indonesia has a chance to break out of the 5% growth trap. Uh, because the economy is being reported at 5% per quarter, year-on-year growth. And we certainly did that this year by breaking out of the 5% trap, unfortunately in the wrong direction. So uh, as you know, Indonesia is moving into recession. So when the third quarter results come uh, in the next few days, it will confirm uh, two quarters successively of negative growth, which is the equivalent of um, the definition of a recession. And that is the first time it has occurred since 1998, Chris Mon. Contraction back then was 13% year on year. It's not going to be that bad. But we, we think the range of 2 to 4% year on year by the end of this year is the most likely outturn. And the recovery next year will be very feeble, probably between one and two percent. So we're a, we're a long way back from where we were at the back end of 2019. Uh, it's due to a number of factors that I'm sure you're aware of. Household spending has contracted dramatically uh, in the course of the, the last two quarters, quarter two and quarter three, and that represents about 60 percent of GDP. So it has a big impact. And secondly, we um, see the some of the export activity that normally shores up the economy to be declining, particularly in the oil and gas and raw materials area. 
area. So there are some uh, troubling signs in the economy regarding how we're doing. Nonetheless, Indonesia is resilient and we believe that there are some opportunities emerging that will bring the company, the country back to its state of growth and buoyancy. So for instance, the e-commerce sector is a great success story for Indonesia. And as of the end of this year, it will become the third highest ranking e-commerce country in the world. It will surpass India. So that's an indication of of the retail shift that is happening in Indonesia and the, uh, the ability of Indonesian companies to meet that demand. We also believe that the news that the World Bank raised Indonesia's status from that of a lower middle income economy to that of an upper middle income economy means that the investment community will start to look harder and harder at Indonesia as a, as a target for their funding. Uh, Indonesia now joins China, Brazil, South Africa, Turkey, Malaysia and Thailand as having access to World Bank loan facilities. So again, that's a step up in their potential for being um, funded from different sources. And it will also change the, the investment climate, we believe, boosting trade flows and enhancing the economic competitiveness of the nation. And indeed, the US now regard Indonesia as a developed nation due to its share of world trade, which is now above 0.5% of the total, and its membership of the G20. So many, many good things are happening that counter the, the immediate bad news that is a consequence of the COVID pandemic. And um, we look forward to a brighter future from next year and beyond. Thank you, Paul. It's good to hear that there's light at the end of this tunnel. And I guess I wanted to dig deeper in terms of the micro level changes and situation that is going on in Indonesia, uh, in particular currently with, you know, as you mentioned, the looming economic recession. Harun, what are your observations on you know, what our companies in Indonesia are doing in response uh, to the current economic conditions? Thanks, Tom. I think it's 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 quite encouraging to hear Paul's view. And if we look into what the companies are doing, initially they are in survival mode. But now I think uh, they know that they cannot leave the companies in, in status quo forever. So we've seen companies try to move forward and dealing with the current situation. For example, I've seen the companies are accessing government assistance, funding, and tax relief. They also try to manage the workforce, such as imposing a mandatory temporary leave of absence or using shifts for employees to come to the office or to the factory. There is some situations where MNA deals that delayed or even to the extreme, some parties uh, withdraw from signed MNA deals. We see an increase on companies accessing the bond market and also to preserve cash. So companies and and shareholders suspending or uh, reducing distribution of dividends. The other areas that I've seen happening a lot is debt restructuring and also companies are seeking waiver uh, of their debt covenants just to give some breathing space for them to get back in in shape and continue the business. Thank you, Parun. I'd like to discuss further in particular um, on the global pandemic, you know, because obviously the discussions on, you know, the current economic conditions 
of Indonesia and, and globally are inextricably tracked, uh, linked with the current global pandemic. Paul, how has Indonesia, you know, in general, dealt with the current pandemic? And sort of what are the wider implications of Indonesia's policy in dealing with this global pandemic? Yes, so Pa Eric Tohir, the state-owned enterprise minister and the head of the Economic Recovery Committee, returned from the UK uh, last week. And he had a letter of fulsome praise from the UK government for Indonesia's attempts and successes in dealing with COVID-19. So uh, we have to take what praise we can get, uh, given that uh, many people still point out that Indonesia has the highest caseload in ASEAN, so at around 377,000 cases currently. But uh, the in- infection rate and the death rate is are very, very low compared to economies in Europe, US and South America. So I think our belief generally is that the, the regional governments and the, um, the governors in particular have been great ambassadors for the, the various protocols that have caused these uh, relatively low infection rates to be present in, in Indonesia. And generally the, uh, the public at large have been compliant with the, the protocols that have been put in place. So we believe that it isn't quite as grim as it looks, but unfortunately Indonesia has a certain stigma attached to it externally in the uh, in, in the investment community and the wider world. Uh, that has been uh, amplified most recently by the demonstrations that have occurred as a consequence of the, the bus law being passed. And uh, so generally stories of that nature tend to make the headlines rather than the good news stories. So we think Indonesia has not been given a, um, a fair hearing in that sense, if you will. But uh, nonetheless, the efforts go on internally to the company to maintain control of the of the infection. So we believe that the healthcare system in Indonesia, although it's been stretched by the demands placed upon it by the COVID pandemic, has coped fairly well. And the, the hospital management have done a great job in, in load levelling uh, their facilities. Additionally, um, the e-health and telemedicine sectors are coming of age as well as, as people become comfortable with doing uh, remote um, diagnostics via their medical professions, such that visits to a clinic or a puskas mass or to the doctor's office now become an option rather than a mandatory obligation. So those are some real changes that I think ultimately are beneficial to, to Indonesia. We see that the reputation of Indonesia remains questionable, let's put it that way, in the investment community. And in fact, the World Bank still regard Indonesia quite low down the list in terms of ease of doing business at about 73 out of 190 nations for the ease of doing business. So there is a a reputational issue that Indonesia still has to confront. And attached to that is the reputation the country has also for protection of um, intellectual property. So they're rate, uh, Indonesia is currently rated about 50 in the world ranking for, for that dimension. So those are things that the investment community take very seriously. And so we have to find ways to shift those negative perceptions across the international community. And indeed, President Jokowi's um, multidimensional reform agenda is attempting to address some of those issues. And uh, I think we'll be talking later on about the omnibus law and some of the impacts that may have on the the sentiment in the investment community regarding Indonesia. So all in all, we we largely uh, reject the assertion that Indonesia has been uh, delinquent in its its response to the pandemic. 
and uh, we believe there are some good things coming out of it, despite the, um, the stress and, and uncertainty that has been part of our lives for the last six or seven months. Thank you, Paul. I guess I'd like to discuss further on the impact of the global pandemic, uh, in particular uh, in, your, in your last uh, point there on uh, investments and M&A activity. Um, just wanted to understand further, Paharun, uh, how the global pandemic and Indonesia's response has you know, impacted investment and M&A activity uh, in general. I see initial decline in M&A transactions, but I believe when it kicks back in, then it will kick in hard and, and, and with focus. We see that the ongoing earning assessment is still very hard to measure and buyer universe is, is now reduced because corporates may seek to retain cash, as I explained earlier. However, a few positive points. Funds may still have dry powder, so they may do more activities, although more focused, more targeted, and uh, more careful in terms of targeting the companies to be, to be acquired. There are some tension because some sellers may need to sell quickly and at the same time, buyers may need more time to assess the risk. So it may create some delay and also more probably scrutiny on both sides. The seller-friendly environment which was happening in the past in Indonesia may shift to buyer-friendly environment. So this is relates also to attracting more foreign investors into Indonesia. Thank you, Pat. And just to dig in further on M&A practices in Indonesia, you know, in light of COVID, tell us some of your observations of, of what has changed in Indonesia, the M&A practice through this uh, past six, seven months or so. In my experience, based on probably uh, transactions in the past few months and the transaction that we are currently doing, sellers may be reluctant to repeat warranties on completion given the changing business landscape and the risk of being on the hook for a breach of warranties. Also, sellers may push back hard on termination rights such as MAC clause and material breach of warranties because it's very hard to predict and they they try to to manage their their risk sellers are increasingly focused on director duties and um, that includes taking actions for the best interest of the company that's some of the observation that i've seen in the transaction in the past few months Thank you, Parun. I think I'd like to shift now to talk about you know, geopolitics because you know, obviously the global pandemic has also imp- impacted geopolitics in general, in particular, for example, the further straining of U.S.-China relations. Um, so just wanted to get your thoughts, Paul, on what is the impact of the changing geopolitical landscape you know, globally uh, and it's, how has that impacted uh, Indonesia? 
Thank you. Yeah, your question alludes to the continuing US-China standoff, which um, transcends politics, economics, and technology. So it's uh, it's all embracing. Uh, what's interesting is that China has just announced a a very positive third quarter result. I think they're going to uh, they're reporting a 4.9 percent increase year on year on GDP, whereas most other economies throughout the world are are going negative, as we talked about earlier on. So in a sense, that propels them into a primary position, uh, both from an economic standpoint and from a geopolitical standpoint, and moves them further in front in terms of their ability to continue to innovate and to invest. So we believe that Indonesia needs to maintain a very close relationship with China. And indeed, it's unlikely that there will be a complete decoupling of the US-China relationship because there are so many codependents dependencies associated with it. And indeed, were it to become a, a, a fractious issue to the point of um, choosing one side or the other, nations simply don't want to, to take sides. So we believe that um, the two countries will go to the brink, but ultimately pull back as often happens in these circumstances. But in the broader sense, we also believe that Indonesia has to uh, begin to play a bigger role in ASEAN as well, which is becoming very much integrated as a, as a community of nations. And as we all know, Indonesia is the largest economy in ASEAN, so it has a key role to play. And some other good things are happening. The, um, the omnibus laws, which again we'll talk about later, mean that uh, there are now 153 companies who have expressed a positive intent to invest in Indonesia from uh, places like US, Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, Hong Kong and China. So infrastructure businesses, manufacturing businesses, plantations, forestry, energy sector, all, all, all of those uh, categories are likely to have further in, inward investment coming in as a consequence of the liberalisation of um, afforded by the omnibus law. And so we reckon those uh, Investments alone will generate up to half a million manufacturing labor-intensive jobs, which is just what Indonesia needs as it uh, it moves forward in its own recovery cycle. We see multiple opportunities for Indonesia in in the supply chain infrastructure as well. One of the unusual aspects of the COVID fallout is the fact that many many supply chains have have become fractured or fragile as a consequence of the relative lack of visibility that was present in um, in the pre-COVID world. So it's caused um, a lot of companies to review how they approach their supply chain infrastructure. And onshoring, nearshoring, shorter node networks are all part of that thinking. And so I think we'll see Indonesia companies playing a greater role as uh, international partners look for alternative uh, manufacturing supply sources. And Buretno, the foreign minister, is playing a very cute game, we think, in um, in maintaining relationships with, with all, all of the key international partners. So we, we feel good about that aspect. And again, we believe that Indonesia can step up to the plate in terms of playing a, a broader role, both regionally and ultimately internationally. Uh, the other aspect, I think, is the onset of digital transformation that is occurring, again, across most of the globe, across most businesses within the globe, because people have realised that they to be disconnected from markets, to be disconnected from supply chains, leaves them very exposed. 
So uh, the joke almost in, in the community is that digital transformation has been brought forward by five years as a consequence of COVID-19. So companies are being forced to think about digitalizing their businesses, both from a supply standpoint and from a, a, a service and customer delivery standpoint, which again is very positive. So, so once again, we see positive components coming from the COVID-19 situation. And Indonesia, by virtue of its large domestic market, its captive workforce, which is highly productive, and also its um, its ability to digitize, will leave it well-placed to play a role in this, this broader uh, international game that is, is emerging as a consequence of COVID-19. Thank you, Paul. I guess to take this discussion further, you know, we've discussed sort of in a macro level, sort of the changes in, in the economy and the global pandemic, as well as, you know, geopolitics. Uh, maybe just to take things, uh, you know, more, more specific on the micro level, sort of how should the companies be thinking about you know, all of, all of the, the changes that, that you've mentioned? Yeah, so the distinction between macro and micro elements of this, um, this situation are, are very important. And my company has spent quite some time with a number of companies in this post-COVID phase to understand the impact of, of COVID-19 on their operations. Most companies now are getting through what you might call the business continuity phase. So they've understood what's happening and created um, new systems and processes for some of their basic uh, procedures and policies. But they're still yet to move out of what you might call a steady state survival mode into a, a regeneration growth mode. We believe generally that the response to COVID, both from a leadership team standpoint and from an employee force standpoint, has been very, very impressive. So um, the increasing use of technologies we talked about before regarding digital transformation has come on a pace uh, as best as people can in the, in the short time available. The, C, the CIO or CTO role now is elevated to the top table in the boardroom because companies are having to make uh, very quick turnarounds regarding managing a, a remote workforce before, which was not a... A, a typical construct for the way in which the business was conducted. So those things have happened relatively seamlessly, relatively quickly, and w- without too much uh, a denigration on service delivery. So I think we owe those people in leadership team roles and, and the employee forces that they manage uh, a great debt of gratitude for continuing to to do the right thing under very trying circumstances. And every function now in the company is also the voice of the customer. I'm I'm a marketing guy and uh, marketing people used to claim ownership of the customer relationship. But in the new world, uh, everyone has a voice regarding how customer sentiment is moving, how customer behaviors are shifting, both um, from a technology standpoint, from a service operation standpoint, from a customer experience standpoint. All of those um, inputs need to be heard as companies understand how to how to respond and to move on to this growth curve that I talked about earlier on. Some of the other impacts uh, that have happened are the breakdown of organizational uh, silos. So uh, many companies are previously vertically um, oriented across functions and those silos are now being broken down as horizontal integration takes place more and more in order to quicken decision making and to refine strategic uh, viewpoints regarding the way forward, and also to facilitate uh, the rate of change in the, in the organization. So lots of dynamics going on, and often 
companies have to rely on um, dispassionate views from outside of their organizations as to how best to make these calls because some of these decisions they're called upon to make are very very challenging particularly regarding the uh, uh, continuing employment of, of their of their people and so something like six million people have uh, have lost employment in the last six to seven months, mostly in the informal sector, sadly. But that obviously has a, a, a great impact on the, the broader economy. And it, it's, it's a, an aspect of this situation that none of us can ignore. Lots of stuff going on. And again, I would repeat a, a word of thanks and praise to business leaders and employees for reacting in the way they have. It's been very, very impressive. Thank you, Paul. Just to expand on that further, sort of what do you see you know, companies uh, need to be doing going forward? Sure. One of the interesting parts of this, this work has been the focus on the company purpose, uh, because that becomes the, the rallying cry for companies who are seeking to forge a new direction for their organization. And what's quite unique about Indonesia, in my experience, is the, the notion of the Visi Missi, the vision mission statement, which is still writ large in people's thinking in companies in, in Indonesia. In companies elsewhere in the world that I've worked with in North and South America, Europe, and other parts of Asia, this Visi Missi concept is, is largely buried in some plan that has been filed away on the shelf. But in Indonesia, that, that is still uh, very much a part of the way people regard their relationship relationship with a company. So that aspect has been quite um, quite easy to implement. An understanding of what the core values of the organization are, what its, its essential purpose is as a business, and how it goes about fulfilling those lung-held principles. Because the Visi Missy obviously lasts for many, many years and many, many decades. So that's the starting point. We also see the need to have uh, companies focus on the basics. So what are, the, what are the winning customer propositions that have served the company well over time? Who are the trusted partners who they can move forward with? And who, um, what is the, the level of competition that is likely to be in place going forward? So balancing the short-term necessities to create business continuity and then moving to a longer-term vision requires them to be somewhat schizophrenic as uh, management teams, balancing demand generation at the front end with supply chain efficiencies at the back end. So a lot of many new challenges for, for management teams and creating a, a pragmatic way forward as well is part of this because a lot of ambition has to be um, set aside in order for the company simply to survive and then thrive ultimately. So we, we look at uh, concepts like minimal viable proper products and services. What are the components of a service or product that will continue to engage the market? Particularly, as uh, Haroon said earlier on, uh, companies are being very concerned about um, cash management and, and, uh, and cost control. So that means that orders are being deferred, particularly in the enterprise sector. And so companies have to find ways of meeting their customers customers in the middle, so to speak. And um, because the market always shouts loudest, in our view, when um, when the music stops, it's the voice of the customer that is is, uh, is most critical. But at the back end, we also put in place uh, tracking and reporting mechanisms that focus on fundamentals like unit economics, the long term, the lifetime value of customers, the cost of customer acquisition, and the measurements around employee productivity and engagement uh, of customers. And we set aside what are more 
more recent uh, measures of success, namely what we call the vanity metrics, which are to do with um, social media performance, likes, views, shares and comments. Those are somewhat peripheral to uh, the task of having a company become uh, viable going forward. And then finally, digital transformation is the um, is really the challenge for, for all of the companies who are seeking to, to future-proof their businesses because there is no company out there who cannot find a way to digitize some aspects of their operations. And yet uh, the underlying infrastructure for that requires uh, workflows, business processes and so on, systems integration to be ready to have a digital overlay uh, thrust upon it. So again, that is, um, it's a buzzword. It's easy to say it's pretty hard to do and it will be, uh, it will be bereft with um, many learn and adjust experiences in order for the business ultimately to find the right platform. So uh, many, many challenges for uh, Indonesian companies, but they are challenges that we believe will ultimately uh, bring the country back to where it needs to be. Thank you, Paul. And on the topic of companies, you know, adopting to changes, um, I'd like to discuss on sort of regulatory changes. You know, obviously, we've, you know, as we've alluded earlier, there has been you know, significant regulatory changes, one of which is the, the omnibus law on job creation, and would actually ex- expect you no know, further changes uh, to the regulatory landscape in Indonesia. Uh, and I'd like just to discuss sort of what can companies expect uh, from a regulatory point of view, and sort of what does it need to do uh, to that pattern? I think, first of all, all companies doing business in Indonesia and also the foreign investors, they would need to be aware and agile of the regulatory changes. Some of us know that the theme of the second term of uh, President Jokowi is nothing to lose. And we would expect that there could be some more major shakeups um, on the regulations. Tama, you have mentioned the omnibus law on job creation, which has been passed a few days ago. And I would expect further changes in the level of implementing regulation. And that could be major changes. Government is aware that it needs to to have a strong policy. Um, That's what I believe. And I hope it will ease Indonesia's um, complex regulatory web. This strong policy and the more flexibility on the Indonesia complex regulatory web will present an opportunity for um, investors for companies to do expansion and do more investment. But also we have to be aware that there will be some challenges to to adapt to the changes. I do hope that the upcoming policy and the implementing regulations will ease things rather than restrict things. And I believe this hope is also shared by investors and companies who are doing business in Indonesia. Thank you, Parun. I guess before we wrap up, just wanted to give uh, an opportunity to Paul if you have any closing remarks or sort of conclusion from, from our discussions uh, today, which you know has been, been very interesting. Thank you, Dama. So what is intriguing about all of this is that um, ultimately every company, every institution is different in, in terms of its dynamics, its market sector, its life stage, the competitive environment it's, it's uh, operating in. 
the customer segments that it's choosing to target. So it is really hard to um, to find a, a silver bullet approach to helping companies uh, move through their business continuity phase and into the, the the growth phase and the consolidation phase that we talked about earlier on. And so we, uh, we'd be delighted to uh, talk to anyone who's listening to this call about their particular situation and uh, provide some, some insights as to how they might move forward. I'm sure most of them are progressing with, with their plans already and will have already learned some, some lessons in the post-COVID world. But to some degree, we're just at the end of the beginning here. I think we all expected back in uh, March time when this situation first broke that we'd be more or less through it by now. And in fact, that's nothing like the case. And uh, in fact, the uh, the notion of the vaccine becoming available starts to become the uh, the great hope for us all for a breakthrough. But um, our focus is on getting companies back to basics with disciplines like path to profitability, good corporate governments and program management. So if any of you want to look at some of our, our work on the, on the WCA website, you're welcome to do so. And that uh, web address is www.wca.co.id. And uh, also feel free to, uh, to contact any of us if you want to have a discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. And thank you as well, Baharun, for the insightful discussions. Um, that is all for today's episode. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you everyone.